This message was brought to you by ABC Church. For more information, please visit our website at www.abclife.org or search for us on Facebook or Twitter. You can also contact us by phone on 01269-596000. Well, good morning, everybody. As you know, I was away last Sunday, but I had the privilege of uh, catching up with Ian's uh, message on podcast on uh, on Monday. And as Mark has already said, if you didn't listen to it, please catch up with it. There's some superb teaching that's in there for you. However, young Ian, you started the message with this picture uh, of uh, Ian being the king of Walia or something, I don't know what you were on about. Uh, and included in that were some remarks about myself and uh, my vulnerability when I was at a breakfast in Brinaman with Ian and the others. And uh, to think that he thinks the way he does when lambs are prancing along the field, all you are thinking of is putting them on your plate for lunch. Um, so I thought I would remind Ian that that um, throne, if you see it there, is, uh, was uh, for some time the Botanical Garden of Wales. It's not used these days. I'd prefer to show Ian this picture of a man that is uh, surveying the uh, landscape. You can have the throne, but I shall have the kingdom, uh, Ian. Uh, and then the other thing, Ian, just for you to be aware, is that Michael and myself have the ultimate uh, protection over our lives. You can mess with me, you can all say what you like, but Michael and me have our mother. And uh, if you speak ill of us, then God rest your souls, I say. I'm speaking this morning from uh, the series that we've been studying together called It's Okay Not to Be Okay. I don't know, how many of you have got fears? How many of you suffer from fear? It's a very real thing, is fear. Doctors tell us that we are only born, and psychologists, there's lots of study been around this, but we are born with just two fears. Are you aware of that? We are born with uh, the two fears, the fear of heights and the fear of loud noises. And uh, psychologists and science, scientists believe that it's hardwired into us when we are young in order to help us protect ourselves from uh, the things that come against us in life. In fact, if you take a newborn baby, try it some of you, newborn baby, lift them up in the air so that they're out of balance slightly and you'll see the baby will start to cry. When they get a little bit older, you can lift them up and because they're used to it. And uh, there was uh, a study that was carried out in the 1960s by Gibson and Walk. Have a look at this picture here. Two um, scientists carried out this, uh, it's called the Visual Cliff Experiment. And what they did was put a child on a table with a pane of glass that was separating them on another table. And the mother or the carer would be the other side calling the baby or calling the infant across. And out of 27 infants that were tested at around that age of one to two years when they could crawl, guess how many of them made it across the clear piece of glass to the other side? None. But yet replacing that piece of glass with a piece of wood, and they would crawl to their mother. Interesting, isn't it? Because they're looking there and seeing the fear or supposing that uh, something would happen to them. So how many of you have got fears, some learnt fears? How many of you here are scared of spiders? 
Come on, hands up. Bit of confession this morning. Scared of spiders. You pam 90 years being scared of spiders. <laughs> How many of you are scared of flying? Okay. How many of you are scared of heights? Scared of enclosed spaces? Oh, wow. Scared of water, deep water. Wow, Ian, scared of deep water. Interesting, we shall go swimming one day. <laughs> okay, so I thought I would test you out to the top ten. This is from fearof.net, which is a website dedicated to fear. What kind of person goes and checks that out? Me this week while I'm researching. Uh, so, arachnophobia is the fear of... Yes, affects women four times than men. Were you aware of that? 48% of women and 12% of men. Ophidiophobia, the fear of snakes. That's the second most popular fear in the world. Acrophobia. Acrophobia, come on, some builders. Fear of heights. 5% of the general population suffer from acrophobia. Uh, agoraphobia, the fear of, well done, the fear of open spaces. Sinophobia, (laughs) (laughs) the fear of dogs. Astrophobia, the fear of lightning, thunderbolt and lightning, very, very, I knew that would happen. Claustrophobia. Mysophobia. <laughs> Don't go there. The fear of germs. Aerophobia. Fear of flying. And lastly, tenth, tripophobia. The fear of holes in an unusual but pret- is an unusual but pretty common phobia. The fear of holes. There's a, John has been reminding me that there's a pothole at the bottom of the car park that needs attention. So maybe, John, you are suffering from trypophobia. But fears, <laughs> fears are very real, aren't they? And as much as we can laugh, uh, laugh at people that are scared of the dark. I'm a- married to Tony, I have. I married Ruth from Betos. I'm a farmer's son. The darkness, there's no fear for a farmer. We're used to it. We walk along it. There's all kinds of noise that comes from the outside. We don't worry what they are. Snorting of cows, barking of dogs, whatever. R- animals rustling around in the wildlife. You know, they're not going to come out being 28 foot tall and gobble you up, are they? But she thinks so. So they're very, very real things. And you know, sometimes the worst thing we can do when we suffer from a real fear is mock other people when they have that fear, isn't it? Because, I mean, for me, it's laughable if you're scared of the dark or if you're scared of uh, spiders or scared of lots of other different things. But I think I shared with you about three, four years ago that I thought I had zero fears at all, that I was fearless. But you know, I discovered one day that I have an incredible fear. Do you know what my fear is? Those of you will know me. I'm incredibly, incredibly competitively wired. I love to succeed. I love to achieve stuff. My biggest fear, and it dawned on me one day, is the fear of failure. The fear of failing on things. 
I remember at one time, you know, three, four years ago, you'd be trying to do things, trying to perform, trying to do everything that, that, that I was required to do according to the, the tasks of the work that I've chosen. And I began to get fearful of failing. I've also shared with you uh, here some things uh, regarding the, uh, my uh, mental condition that has been caused by uh, some of the TB that I've suffered, is that sometimes I get this kind of a stage fright thing where I lose my thoughts when I'm communicating. And I can't place my mind on the word, and you can get stage fright. That began to grip me at one time. The fear, not just of the stage fright, but the fear of failing and being embarrassed in a very public setting. The fear of failure. So you can look at me and you can laugh at my little fears. But equally so, maybe we can look at you and laugh at your fears. And so this message, we're going to talk about FWAS. F-W-A-S. That stands for fear, worry, anxiety and stress. That's what I want to talk about this morning. Fear, worry, anxiety and stress are very real things. And when we go through them, and when these things happen to us, I want to tell you, according to God's word, it's okay not to be okay for a moment. When you're going through the fears, because fears are things that we can have sometimes about things that are about to happen, and we can look at them and we think, oh my, what will happen? And we start doing all kinds of imagination in our heads, don't we? We start thinking of what could be, and before we know it, we're doing, you know, A, B, C, D, we're at Z all the way. Those of you that, uh, you know, a, a friend of yours maybe has been diagnosed with an illness, please don't go onto the internet to research the illness. Have you done that? Because by the time you research, you're thinking, hang on a second, my friend has got about eight weeks to live, according to a lot of this. And we start joining the dots on sometimes things that haven't even happened. And then on other occasions when stuff happens to us, when circumstances happen, you get a phone call that your, uh, someone you love is in hospital. Or you get a phone call that an accident has happened. And before we know it, our mind is off projecting into things that you know, we don't even know the facts. And yet, the fear and the worry and the anxiousness is something that happens to us. In fact, fear, worry, anxiousness, and stress leads to many different things. It tell, doctors tell us that it uh, can lead to the lowering of the immune response. It can lead to chronic muscle tension, increasing in blood pressure. These problems and worry and fear and these attacks can eventually, if we don't curb them, they can lead to serious life-threatening illnesses, such as heart attacks, kidney disease and cancer. Sometimes even depression. Worry and anxiety is a very real thing. But I want to tell you that it's a very normal thing to have. Just like you can uh, hurt your hand, and just like it takes time to heal, so sometimes we can hurt our head, and it takes time to heal. Sometimes our thoughts take time to heal, and I'm going to uh, give you some uh, Top tips from God's word this morning of how we can uh, move forward together. Worry and anxiety is real. Please, let us here as a church never be a church that turns to people that suffer badly because it's a progressive thing sometimes. What starts as something small, 
we cycle it around in our head and it becomes the anxiousness fits in and then soon it can lead to a whole host of other things if we are not careful. Others find themselves because of uh, other chemical reactions that are taking place in their brains that they feel that somebody was perfectly rational now can no longer control their own emotions or their own thoughts because of their own physiology and what's going on in their neurology at that, times, at that time. But the facts remain is that fears and worries affect our mental functionality. And for some reason, in Western society, the way that we are living today is causing more fear, more worry, more anxiety, and more stress to happen now than it ever has in the history of our time. These are figures from the uh, OECD. It's an organization that uh, 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 researches lots of different things. Can I have the OECD uh, picture up there on the graph, please? This is the use of global uh, antidepressants globally. Um, across our planet at the moment, starting, and these are the top nations. Notice that nations like uh, Africa and India don't even feature here on the list at all. Amazing, isn't it, that our new Western lifestyle is leading so, so, uh, to, to so many um, different uh, things that are happening to the way we live. So currently, uh, United States here at 11%, there's 110 people per thousand, 11% of people are taking antidepressants uh, in the US. Iceland, 106. Remarkably, it's dropped in the last week massively. <laughs> As Iceland beat England, of course. Did I say that? Sorry. Uh, Australia, Canada. But something's wrong here, isn't it? Is there a common thread there? And in the United Kingdom, here we are, 7 uh, in 100, or 7.8% 7 uh, of us are using uh, antidepressants or going to the doctor for some reason. You see, what happens to our mind, and the Bible speaks so clearly about our mind. In the book of Romans, Paul, speaking to the Romans, says, Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And it starts with our mind and our soul and then affects everything else. But if we are not careful and we don't maintain and have a healthy mind and have healthy practices to help us, then we can have fears, worries, anxiety and stress take a hold of our life and it will actually lead to it affecting us physically, not just mentally. Have you heard people that say that their get up and go has got up and gone? People who are normally full of energy are just now feeling tired all the time. People who have been incredibly effective and perform very, very well uh, now seem to not be able to get their thoughts straight. Staring at their laptop at work, looking at that piece of paper, staring into it, because for some reason their performance has dropped. They can't seem to get control of their mind, and it all seems to be falling apart. Why do I think this way? It's a question we ask ourselves. We don't sleep very well. We get tired and fatigued. And then the worst thing, when fear really grips us, it plays out physically, where some people even have panic attacks. I remember a young man that used to uh, work with us at our business years ago. We came down one stairs, uh, downstairs into the retail store one day, Mike and I, and discovered that one of our members of our team had literally just left. He had just left the office, abandoned his post, gone out. 
And his mother phoned us uh, a few days later, and we were saying, where is he? And he said, something weird happened. He just had a panic attack and just had to get out of the store. Probably something Mike had said to him. <laughs> but I'm not trying to belittle the case, but uh, things like that, uh, they sound irrational, don't they? But to the person that's going through them and to somebody here that might be here today, those things are very, very real when you're going through them. And I want you to know today, it's perfectly normal. Perfectly normal to have the fears and the worries. The Bible says some things about how we deal with them, and we're going to talk about it now. But don't go thinking to yourself, there's something incredibly wrong with you. We're going to see from the scripture how the Bible has lots of different people that are coming through this. What is wrong is sometimes where we don't take the right attitude to dealing with things and living the life that God called us to live here in the Bible. So I want to, see some, I want to say something here before I start. The first thing I want to say uh, before we turn to God's word this morning, first thing I want to say, it's perfectly normal and it's okay not to be okay for a while. But the first thing primarily that I want to say is that, and there's three things I want to say here. Firstly, I want to tell you that I am no psychologist or psychiatrist. I haven't studied the human mind. In fact, I find it hard to know how my own mind works, let alone my wife's. So, for me, the challenge of understanding myself and why I respond and react to ways is something that I'm dealing with myself, and doubtless you are too. So, if you need help with your mind, can I just tell you, go and see a psychologist or a psychiatrist or a professional that can help you in that area. Secondly, I can tell you I'm no physician. I'm no doctor. I don't know how your body works. I don't know if you need to be on steroids. I don't know, know if you need to be on hormone replacement therapy or anything. I don't know how your biology works, but you can go and see somebody who can help you in that area. You see, because the psychologist will tell you and give you advice about your mind. The doctor will give you help about your body. But I want to tell you that I'm a pastor. And I'm a pastor and I'm a theologian. And I do believe that I have on the authority of God the opportunity this morning to communicate to you, not my thoughts, the thoughts of God's word. Because we are indeed body, mind and spirit. And what our evolutionary affected world is doing at this moment is they are focusing all about health and all of these situations around people. They're dealing with just two parts of the problem. You'll go and see the doctor and they'll tell you all about your body and what might be going on in it. They, you'll go and see the psychologist, he'll tell you all about your head. But nobody, bar the church, is speaking out about your soul. Speaking about that spiritual part of you that needs discipline, that needs sustenance, and that needs care and attention in order to grow. For it's out of the mouth, the heart, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And all of who we are is wired into this soul that's in the very center of us. And if we don't take care of our soul, then good luck with trying to take care of your head. And good luck with trying to take care of your body. Because I believe that God-breathed part of us is the most important thing that we should be looking at. So, if you suffer with fear, worry, anxiety, stress, depression, all of the, all of the above, go see a doctor, go see a counsellor or psychologist, and please, please, speak to your pastor 
or your spiritual leader. Because you need a psychological, a a physiological and a theological answer for some of the issues that you face. So this morning, I'm going to give you the theological perspective, not on fear and worry itself. You can study the life of David yourself if you want to see inside the mind and see inside the life. And we'll touch on it this morning of somebody that clearly suffers from massive ups and downs, highs and lows in his life. And we'll talk about some of them this morning. But you know, life's difficult, isn't it? You can read Scott Peck's book. He's a uh, uh, one who ministers to the spiritual as well as the, psycholo- uh, as the psychological. He's a psychiatrist. And he has written a fantastic book called The Road Less Travelled. If you want to get a, co- get a copy of it, it's a fantastic book. And he starts in his book by saying, Life is difficult. That's the first three words. Life is difficult. And he goes on to say that once we understand that life is difficult, the easier it gets to live. Once we understand that life is difficult, the easier it gets to live. Before we turn to our text this morning, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's a light unto our feet lamp into our path, even. Lord, we thank you. There's a lamp into our feet and a light into our path, even better. We pray this morning as we open your word and we, as, as we look at some ways that you have given us in Scripture that we can sustain our soul. Will you speak to us? Will you help us? Will you help us this morning uh, as the road less traveled talks about the primary a thing that uh, a successful life needs is discipline. And as we look at some of the disciplines that we can practice in our lives today, I pray that you would give us the courage to face up to them and live them, we ask in Jesus' name. Lord, and as I say this, I pray for each person in this room. You know each life. You know each person that's listening in online right now. You know what they are going through. You know how their heart feels. You know the worry and the fears that to them right now are really, really real. I pray, Lord that the peace of God that surpasses all understanding that we will look at in a moment will be their hope and be their joy and be their peace, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to me to the book of Philippians. I've got the scripture on screen here for you to follow, and that's what I'm going to use um, this morning. Philippians chapter 4, verse 1 to 9. Now, we will read this, and you as Christians, all of us here that are believers, need to be reminded today that there's loads of this bit, loads of this text here, that's a final exhortation that Paul has written in one paragraph. That for some reason, Christians seem to take bits of this instead of the whole. You see, when we look at something, we've got to put something into context. We just can't take a little bit of it. And this is what the scripture says all in its entirety in that passage of scripture. So you will hear some people say, rejoice, I say to you, rejoice. And again I say rejoice, rejoice always. You'll get people that will quote that. You will get people that will quote verse 7 for you often, will they? The peace of God that surpasses all understanding. But there is a routine that's in here that we will look at that I believe is a pattern Or is a template for the health of your very soul. If there's one 
if there's a couple of verses I could encourage you to put to memory and dwell on this, it is this verse. It's these set of verses thus here that we will read. So it's Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 to 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. How often? Always. An attitude of gratitude. And we'll talk about that in a minute. And he says, I say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Don't be rash, he's saying. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. How many Christians do you hear chucking that one at you? Don't they? They say to you when you're in the middle, oh, don't be anxious about anything, Phil. I'm thinking, anxious? Of course I'm anxious. I want to punch your face in right now just for seeing it. Or is it just me that says that? Okay, just me that thinks that. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God. So it's a result of. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. It's not logical what we do. Our faith is not logical. Transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your in Christ Jesus, your hearts and minds. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learnt or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Can I tell you this morning, the God of peace will be with you this morning if you follow the template that we have here. So the first thing I want to talk about this morning is he starts with rejoice. An attitude of gratitude. I've shared with you before, when I was about 10, 11 years of age, my uh, brother and myself, uh, we had to go up to Ocharawain. It was an annual occasion that we would go up and help my, uh, my grandfather, Cornelius Stevens, that was my grandfather, what a fantastic name, uh, turn over the garden. And I can remember Mike and me were arguing over this shovel. And Mike, being the usual, you know, eight years old, I was 11 or whatever, always used to get his own way then, still does now. In the end, mum had weighed in and says, no, give the shovel to Michael, he can turn the garden over. And so Mike's there doing a miserable job. And so I decided to go for a sulk. I went and sat in the corner like this, having a real proper pity party, having a sulk over this. And I'll never forget this day. And it had... <laughs> Uh, for those of you who are listening online, my brother just shouted from the congregation, always does. So, yes, always does. But um, I was sat there, and I can remember my uh, grandfather coming, and he was, I can't remember how tall he was, but he was really tall, big, big, huge arms that he used to use when he was preaching. And he sat down, put his arms around me, and said, Is you bored, Philip Ach? And I began to have a good old moan about the shovel and everything. Never forget these words. I must have been 10 or 11 at the time. And they stayed with me as a practice throughout life. Do you know, Philip Bach, life's not that bad. Life's not that bad. If ever you are feeling down, take the time to think about yourself. And ask yourself the question, are there others in this world right now that are less fortunate than you. And if there are, try and cheer yourself up with that news and get on with life. 
And you know, it, God, I think, put a seed in my heart that whether it's a church, whether it's a business, whether it's in our family, do you know, that's what I do as a practice. I rejoice in the Lord. I find a reason to give thanks. And we do it here as a church to practice, don't we? Reasons to give thanks. Have you had a lovely breakfast this morning? Have you got money in your pocket this morning? Have you got fuel in the tank of your car this morning? We've got 101 reasons. Hey, we are still in the UEFA Cup, aren't we? We're still in the European Did I say UEFA? We're still in the European Cup. We can still, you know, we've got all reasons. We can just find a reason to rejoice, can't we? Find a reason to rejoice with thanksgiving. And so what we need to do is develop this attitude of gratitude. Stephen Covey, who's the author of uh, a best-selling book called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, he says that when stuff happens to us between stimulation and response is a moment called choice. When something happens, we have a moment called choice. Do we react to something or do we respond how do we train our minds to, minds to respond to disappointment and to circumstances? Because life is difficult. In this world, trouble you will have. And if we go around with rose-colored spectacle glasses all the time, not expecting disappointment, then we need to rewire our minds. But one thing I do know is that God is good and has a plan for me. And he has a purpose for me. And I know that whatever I am going through, I will not be tested more than that which I am able to take. I know that God wants to expand my heart and my mind. I know that he wants to put me in challenging situations so I can learn to love him more. So I can learn to lean into him more. And what he wants me to do is when circumstances are tough, he doesn't want, to be, want me to look into my own life and begin to say, th- think to myself, oh, wretched man that I am. What he wants me to do is to wake up The God that is bigger than the circumstance that I am in. Wake up my big God and say to him, I am more than a conqueror through Christ who strengthens me. But it's easier said than done, isn't it? This is a picture of uh, me in uh, Vienna here. And uh, I took this uh, picture. I don't know, Ruth and I were just walking around there. But sometimes my problems seem twice the size of me. Do you have that? And that's the essence, the problem with an attitude of gratitude that we have a lot of the time is we make our problems to be bigger than our God. And it's something that's perfectly natural. In fact, this came in with the fall. What happened is when Adam and Eve fell, worry and shame and things like that started to come in. And so the great God that they now served, that they were happy to walk with in the cool of the evening. If you read Genesis 3, what did they do after the fall? They hid, didn't they? They went and hid because of their shame, because of their guilt. Why? Because sin had entered the world. And now they begin to what? Get fearful, get worried, get anxious. Anxiety and worry, it is. We know that it is. But what we have got to do is correct it and realize that we are not small in comparison to our problems. In fact, we are big in Christ Jesus. So quickly then, in closing, let's look at five fast areas that we're going to look at here of how we generate thankfulness and how we right-size our soul and our spirit. So the five are here on screen, and I'm going to give you the... um, Uh, the the spiritual context to all of these as we get through. 
But it's good to have some solitude in our lives, isn't it? My daughter Karis this week has had quite a, in her terms, as an 18-year-old girl, has had quite a stressful week this week. It's been more stressful than that. My daughter Karis has quite a stressful week this week. And those of you, if I, can, if I can commend my daughter Karis for one thing, my daughter Karis has got a lovely temperament in her spirit. You'll very, very rarely will you meet a morning complaining Karis. She is positive. She is enthusiastic the majority of the time. Uh, <laughs> and I, I believe Karis has something going to power you for a, a life that, that God's going to use you mightily, I believe. But Karis this week introduced something to me that I didn't know she does. She says, Dad, I just need a five-minute moan, and then I'll come talk to you after. Any of you women use a five-minute moan? The concept was explained. Basically, we're, I won't go into the circumstances of what, what was going on. We went to, well, I will, actually. We were going to buy a new car for Karis, and when we arrived there, the car, the car had a problem with it, and so we had to ask the mechanic to fix the, uh, the near-side wheel, uh, near-side, nearest the pavement, uh, near-side wheel and get it fixed. So we couldn't take it away with us. We had to go back. So the disappointment on her face was uh, plain for all to see. And then we'd arranged to go and pick it up, and then one thing led to another, and we still haven't picked her car up. End of the world. So she said to me this, Dad, I just need a five minute, give me peace and quiet, I just need a five minute moan for me to get my head together. She wanted to be alone. She wanted to have a moment, but what she's doing is resolving things in her mind over how she's feeling, feeling emotionally in order to come back and actually just get rid of it the other side. Karis, I would encourage you, try and develop that into a five-second moan, if you can. Shorten the time scale, because between uh, stimulus and response is a thing in the middle called choice. So all of us have to cycle through this. Some people will be down in the dumps for a month. Other people will be down in the dumps for a week. You've heard that phrase, never let the sun go down in your anger. So technically, women, I hear this uh, the other week, what do you do? Start arguing after the sun has gone down because you can get a full uh, period to argue at your um, will. But Luke 5 verse 16 says this. Look at the scripture. Yet the news about him, talking about Jesus, spread all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. I'll read that again, Luke fifteen sixteen. But Jesus often, it was a habit, often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Can I ask you, where's your lonely place? Where's the place that you go to have a five-minute moan? Listen to Ian's podcast last week. He was... Uh, telling us a lot of the, the kind of the legal contractual obligations that God has towards us in the covenant. One thing, if you pick up that podcast and listen to it again, Ian said and does what the, the uh, uh, followers of Christ and God of old have done, we can have an argument with God. We can, re- we can rationalize it out. And I often do it myself. I often do it. I take time to be aside and say, God, what are you doing in this situation? 
You know, at this moment in time, I'm praying this prayer out loud by declaration this morning, Ian, and I'm trusting everybody to come with me on this. Do you know, church, I really need my house to sell. I really do. I remember I said to Mike, I didn't know whether to do it in the plus group this week, I'm doing it in church. I remember when Mike stood here on a Sunday two, three weeks ago, he says, church, I really need a miracle. I need God to intervene and I need my house to be sold. And it had been on the market for a while and I think within the week you'd had an offer on it. And you're Mike, so I need that kind of prayer this morning. God, you know the situation that I'm in with this house, you know all the fear, worry, anxiety and strife and the story me and wife are telling myself over this stupid situation. Lord, will you intervene right now? We give you thanks for your grace towards us and your blessing but we need you in this situation right now in jesus name amen but over the last couple of weeks i've been fighting with god over it what are you trying to teach me here trying to teach me patience wisdom did i overstretch ourselves all of this stuff that i'm going through at the moment and i tell you the coming aside of solitude helps me helps me right size that problem which is tiny no one's gonna die What's the worst thing that could happen? But my mind is off doing all kinds of things, but I come aside in solitude and I have my soul refreshed following Philippians chapter 4. Can I ask you, where's your solitude? If we gave a bit more time as a church, more time to solitude and prayer than we did to Facebook and Twitter, I'll tell you there'd be revival in our land. Secondly, companionship. On the 1st of June 1967, the Beatles released a fantastic song, which was called, I Get By With A Little Help From My Friends. I want to tell you, I get by with a lot of help from my friends. There are people here like Mark and Michael and others of you that I lean into for godly counsel in my life. I thank you for your, I thank you for your friendship and I thank you for your companionship towards me. Because I get by with a little help from you. Matthew 21, verse 17. Jesus here writes about this wonderful little place called Bethany. And Jesus always heads off, sometimes away from the crowds, to go to be by himself and pray. Goes to the Mount of Olives and other places. But you also see that Jesus regularly comes away from the crowds, even the disciples, to be with his friends in Bethany. Look at these scriptures. Matthew 21, 17. And he, Jesus, left them and went out of the city to Bethany, where he spent the night. Matthew 26, verse 6, while Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper. Mark 11, 11, Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany. Mark 14, verse 3, while he was in Bethany reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. We talked about this in our plus group this week. Wasn't it a great plus group at our house this week, hosted by, um, by uh, taken by Sally? And we talked about getting together. Even on Friday here with the youth, uh, Emily was encouraging from uh, Hebrews, don't get in the habit of not getting together as some people do. Get together, church. And you don't have to get together for a reason. Sometimes just getting together for the sake of getting together is enough. It doesn't need an agenda. I'm coming around your house. For what? I'm just coming around your house. I just want to be with you. I just want to talk. I want the randomness of what God is going to do in our lives so that we can sharpen one another. So, who are your friends? How long do you spend time with them? Is it random? Or are you organized about it? Or do you not care about anything at all and don't build that into your weekly diary? 
Number three, journaling and writing. Journaling is not keeping a diary. Journaling is writing down what is happening to you. You're learning how you're applying things for your life. Um, Bill Hybels starts every journal that he writes saying, yesterday. He starts with the word yesterday and then begins to fill the rest of it in. Something that I've struggled with, tried doing it, doesn't really work for me. But I'll tell you what does work for me. Is typing things down sometimes. On a, just firing something in. Sending an email that I couldn't send. Any of you done that? Where you send an email to yourself about a situation. I've done that countless occasions. I'm saying, if I was God sending an email to Phil now, what would that look like? And I fire up Outlook. And I'll type, I says, dear Phil. And I'll start writing things from God's perspective. I know what you're going through right now, but don't you realize I'm bigger than the problems that you're facing? I'll type it all about. I have a plan for you. I believe in you. All my love as ever, Jesus. How mental am I? But I tell you what, gives me real power. Gives me real power because I am telling myself all the truths that God has for me. Journaling and writing, is that something that might work for you? In Habakkuk 2.2, the Lord answered and says to Habakkuk, write down the revelation and make it plain. Sometimes it brings clarity to a situation if you're trying to fix it by just actually taking the time to write it down because it slows your mind down to do things. So we see in scripture people using solitude, using companionship, using journaling and writing. Number four, if you're blessed this way, and it's something you can develop, poetry and song. How many of you like poet, write poems? Come on. Okay, all right, there's two there now. Okay, so let me ask a question. How many of you have ever written a poem? Hands up. Come on. In school or whatever. Look at all the hands going up. That's probably over half of you. Have it sometime. When's the last time you wrote a poem? Why don't you write a poem? About your situation and what you're going through. It might be something that's therapeutic and cathartic for you. And you can bring God into it. Use your imagination from your very soul. Try it. Write a song, some of you. <laughs> I can see some of you laughing already. There was a young fellow from Gloucester. I'm not, not a limerick. <laughs> ah. Poetry and song. And you know, if you read the best parts or some of my most favorite passages of scripture, it's in the book of Psalms. Most of them written by David. And they're all poetry and song, aren't they? All of what he's going through, it's his journal to us about situations that he went through. I love Psalm 121. I love Psalm 23. I love Psalm 24. I love Psalm 1. I love Psalm 150. I love so many of these Psalms. That men and women of God have written. Well, how's about we write a psalm to ourselves? Psalms are not just something that are written then in time, locked down, there they are. How's about they finish at 150? Write a psalm 151 for yourself tomorrow. Or Psalm 160. Start writing stuff about where you are. And psalms, poetry and song. Go for it, church. Begin to take time aside and get your thoughts down on paper. And then fifthly and finally, music. I, I get emotional at this one because this is one of the ways that God speaks to me. Second Kings 3, verse 15. Now bring me the harpist. 1 Samuel 16, 23. 
Whenever the Spirit from God came on Saul, David would take out his harp and play. You know, in our family, uh, a couple of months ago, we subscribed to uh, Apple Music. It's uh, I don't know, 16 quid a month, I think it is. And everybody in the family, the six of you that can listen to the music and stream it. But, you know, I've discovered all manner of, I love classical music. I love the Marriage of Mozart's Marriage of Figaro. That's, I love that stuff. And listen to it. But you know what I started listening to recently? That is unbelievable. There's two. Go and do this. Go and uh, subscribe yourself theme tunes from uh, films and Mark the other day and Mark the other day had talked about the film Gladiator oh the music from the the, the original um, what do they call it music score from you, you can go on Apple Tunes and you can listen to the whole lot so I found myself coming there and I, and I and when the music comes on I connect with the scenes I can remember which they were you know oh, it's amazing Amazing. The other one, the Shawshank Redemption. The, score, the music score from them. And I have found myself allowing music to be just ointment for my soul. Bizarre. Absolutely bizarre. I find myself like just listening to this and my mind is wondering, not in a kind of like a weird psyche, you know, kind of way, but just I am there just oh, taking a moment out just to, and most of the time I'm thinking about God and his graciousness and everything and then the things that have real power on my life is when i listen to uh worship music and instead of just chucking it on the car while i'm doing stuff taking time aside to listen to it the bethel song i am no longer a slave to fear it's fed my soul for nearly a year as i from time to time when i'm taking time with god in my morning time I'm playing that song, and I'm listening to it. I'm singing to my very soul, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. And when I come out to the lounge, I tell you, Ian, look out. I'm the king of the empire. I am like gladiator himself. I am like Marcus Aurelius or whatever his name is. After half an hour of being in God's word, I come out and my problems have been right-sized. And I'm no longer feeling like David. I'm feeling like Goliath himself. And I come out of that door thinking, whatever you want to chuck at me today, life, you ain't big enough to handle it. Because I have. It was the Philippians 4 way of rejoicing in the Lord. Whatever things are good, whatever things are meaningful, whatever things are really build us up, let's think on those things. Let's finish with the scripture, shall we? And let's read it together. Philippians chapter 4. Can you put it back on screen? And then we're all done and I'll hand back to Mark. Philippians 4 verse 4 to 9. Can I ask you to do something this morning? Let's stand in honor of the truth of God's word. Come on, let's all just stand as we read this. Together, we're going to read this with passion. Good Welsh hoil and passion. Okay? Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. 
And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learnt or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Amen. Amen. That deserves a round of applause. I love messages like that.